Welcome back. Hello. Here. <laughs> What's up? Oh, you know. Another. <laughs> Even at that, oh, you, know. Yeah, you know, I'm just yeah. tired. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. I've I've entered into like a like a exhaustion slash clean out slash rearrange life type mode. Yeah, like a spring cleaning of the uh, physical and metaphysical. Exactly. Yeah, but it, it and it feels weird though because it's not anywhere close to spring. Do you feel weird because it's also a full moon? Maybe that's what's going on. (laughs) I had like crazy dreams last night. Literally woke myself up two minutes before my alarm screaming. Really? Yeah. Where I was like, out of sleep. Do tell. I don't want to talk about the dream because it's super sad. It it involved Stan and I was running to save him. It was devastating. I don't know why it was whatever. But I woke up and I was like, <laughs> I was so upset. And then I realized that all week this week, when I was able to get to sleep, I was having that sort of brain dump dream experience. And then I obviously Googled it and realized that we're we're about to have a, a full moon experience. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why. Yeah, it could be because I'm not necessarily having like, a brain dump feeling. I'm having like a brain shut off feeling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've gotten to the point where it's like, I've got so much stuff going on right now. My brain's going like, you either need to clean stuff out to distract yourself or shut it down for a second. I don't feel bad because I've talked to three people now who we've been trying to have a conversation and they're like, what's that word? Who's that person? It's literally yeah. becoming like scary sometimes when I'm trying to think of something basic and I'm like, how do how is it that I don't I can't pull this up in my brain right now? I know. You're feel, just tired. It feels weird. Yeah. I hate that too, because it makes me feel dumb. Exactly. And I'm like, well, my I have the thought, the words just vanish when I go to speak them. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, what's my name? <laughs> Rage cage. Yeah. I I did have a little bit of a pick me up because two things happened. I got my first haircut in a year the other day. Yes. And um I realized very quickly that I was feeling pretty bad about myself <laughs> cuz she cut my hair and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm a new woman." <laughs> I also realized that whenever I'm going through any sort of discomfort or turmoil, I automatically want a makeover. I want to physically manifest the change that I'm looking for. And so I had to have a very serious discussion with Kristen, my amazing hairstylist, being like, we cannot cut my hair because I almost cut all my hair off. You like doing that. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Just like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, we're going to get to a day where it's going to be full shaved head. We've talked about this before. It's happening. Yeah, it's gonna. It's happening. It has to. But yeah, I do do that. Where I'm just like, I want to feel different. I love that moment in the mirror when you scare yourself, when you forget that you did it, and then you you greet yourself in the morning and you're like, oh, fuck. Oh. Love that. Oh, hey there. Love that feeling. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of like just another version of the brain dump thing that we were just talking about. Probably. Like I clean shit yeah. and you chop all your hair off. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But it happens. At you, least I, I was able to keep myself from doing that because for whatever reason, I'm on this kick of like, let's try to be a long hair bitch for a while. <laughs> and I, I know I would have been mad at myself if I had done it, even though I would enjoy because I love short hair. You don't have to do anything to it. Yeah. Um, I also gave up on my Apple Watch. Ooh, that's a big move because you've had one for quite a while. Yeah. Well, you were a real sweetheart. <laughs> and you got me a whoop for my birthday, and I'm loving it, dude. It's so cool. I'm I'm actually like kind of into entertaining that now. I haven't worn anything on my wrist in a while just because, you know, I'm because it's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> Yeah, I don't want stuff like any more things poking me all day long trying to get me to look at a screen. Totally. So But, but the whoop doesn't do that and it was a game changer. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I, I it took me like two days to get used to it and I realized how like brainwashed I was into always looking at my wrist and it was weird. And now it's just like a cute little bracelet and I'm also like not obsessing over numbers and it gives you such a better read. Like it tells you not to work out if you're too tired. It's like, no, don't push it today. Yeah. It's pretty dope. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. More healthy way of keeping track of what you're doing. Yeah. And it's less screen time because it doesn't have a face on it. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't buzz your wrist all day long. And God, what a relief. Yeah. Now when I leave my phone in You're- another room, it's like... Free! Yeah. Oh, free! <laughs> I haven't brought my screen time down at all on my phone, but that's okay because what I have... I've already admitted <laughs> to this. Yeah. That I spent most of quarantine watching our guest today. Ah, uh, yes. I'm so excited. I hit him up on Instagram and, and he agreed to do the podcast. So we're very excited because today we have Mr. Ballin. Oh my God. It's going to be so much fun. He's one of my favorite storytellers. Yeah, he's, you got on the kick, dude. I did. You introduced him to me and he's brilliant. Yeah, you said that the first time that you watched him, you were like, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch one of the videos, and then you ended up watching like five. It's addicting. I did, yeah. yeah. He's he's a great speaker. And great, he's great speaker. Really good storyteller as well. It's awesome. Yeah, and he's not like overly animated or anything. It's not like a vaudevillian performance. He's just really great at telling stories. And even the stories that are not maybe on paper are not that scary, how he tells them and like his mannerisms and everything, it like really gets you, gets you hyped and it gets your adrenaline going. Like I watched one of his videos the other night. It was one that I refused to watch before because it had to do with ghosts and I've, you know, whatever. (laughs) 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 And I watched it and um, it was an experience that he had when he was a kid, and I was like, I'm not watching this because what if this happens to me? And I watched it, and I had trouble, more trouble than normal, (laughs) falling asleep for two nights after watching it. It was spooky as fuck. It's great. Yeah, that's he he is able to paint pictures with just regular spoken word. It's great. 
That's not, a talent. Yeah, it's tough to do, and he does it so well. So I'm we were super just, stoked to talk to him. We were just talking about this yesterday because I've been binge listening to different true crime uh, podcasts, and I was like, wow, I'm for whatever reason, it's just now really clicking for me what a talent storytelling is and what a talent like being able to act is. Everybody thinks that it's so easy, and then you hear some of these voice actors on the podcast, and you're like, dear Lord. <laughs> I don't believe you. Yeah. So he's got a gift, man. I'm really excited. He does. I'm stoked. So to quote Mr. Ballin, if you're a fan of the strange, dark, and mysterious delivered in story format, then you've come to the right channel. So here he is. Please welcome John Allen. Hi, John. Hey, what's going on, Tina? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on here today. I'm going to introduce you to my brother. This is Kevin. Hey, John. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? Nice to meet you, man. I love your stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. You've helped me so much getting through quarantine. I found you <laughs> because I was in one of those moods where I wanted to watch spooky videos, and yours was recommended, and then I just went down the rabbit hole. Nice. Yeah, it's been it's been so wild. Like, I don't even know. Like, I made I made these videos really with uh, no clear sense of of how interested people would be, but it's just been kind of remarkable that I'm speaking to you guys right now because of some videos I threw up on the internet. So it's it's very flattering. Thank you. I'm so excited that you responded to me on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, I was just wanting to spread some joy because obviously we've all been, you know kind of in a weird headspace and I was like I love this guy's video so much and and then when you responded to me like I definitely geeked out I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so when did you start making these videos how long have you been on YouTube now uh well I mean I was I I made an account ages ago uh, but I didn't really actually use the account until like June of uh of last year Dang, you yeah. had monstrous growth. <laughs> monstrous. Yeah, that's, that's in. That's crazy. Because you're at <laughs> what? You're almost two million followers on YouTube now, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's about one point eight right now. How does so, that feel? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's amazing, and, and I I on I haven't really come to come to even come close to terms to, with it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just it's it's so bizarre. Uh, Speaking of, you said you geeked out when, when you know, I, I responded to you. I, I literally was watching Napoleon Dynamite and you DM'd me. <laughs> no way! And I'm, I'm, that's not even a lie. Like, I told my wife, like, this is uh, like serendipitous and infinity. <laughs> um, and one of my favorite movies as a kid was Waterworld. I've watched it like a thousand <gasps> times. No <laughs> like, way! Literally. That's oh my God. So cool. Like, literally, so, so for me, like, the idea that you'd be DMing me based on these videos that I'm like, what the hell am I even doing? Like that blew my mind. Um, <laughs> that would be the so, best thing ever to be sitting there watching that. We're like, Oh look, Deb's texting me. That's I so- literally said, Hey, look, Amanda, check it out. Uh, Tina's texting me. Or, uh, Deb's texting me. Yeah. Crazy. That's so funny. Uh, that's awesome. That's so funny. Well, yeah, know that the, the, f- the feeling is very mutual just because I feel like anybody that's making content really like as a consumer as a as a fan of anybody's work 
you're watching them a lot and they're like in your they're in your orbit every day if yeah. you if you like their stuff so then for that person to respond it's just like what a wild world <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> i yeah. know i know it i know it well yeah no it's very flattering and, and, and truthfully i i'm i'm not even close to coming to terms with what's even happening i'm just head down making videos right now i think that's a fantastic attitude because it definitely I think this is just my opinion, but it's like when people become almost too aware of other people's perception of them or, or I don't know, like they get too involved in that side of it. It can lose some of the magic that brought you those people in the first place. If that makes sense. It's like when people get too, um, too meta with it, I guess. Oh, well, I mean, not to like throw stones at anybody, but I know a couple people, so, so before I was on uh, YouTube, um, I started posting some stuff over on TikTok, which it, it, I guess it's it's similar, but you know it's it's a obviously much shorter form content. And frankly, now looking at it, it's incredibly cringe what I was posting. But either way, I, I connected with some people on TikTok that like really blew up on on TikTok and have subsequently um, you know transitioned to you know Netflix and a couple other places, um, like purely from TikTok. And I, I'm on the older end of the spectrum for like starting a, you know, content career, you know, I'm 32 and a lot of these guys and, and gals that are making it on TikTok are like literally 17, 18, 19 years old. And there's a couple of them that I've just like watched them go from being these like awesome kids, you know, starting their career on TikTok kind of out of left field to like completely self-absorbed and like they literally think they're like the most important thing on the internet <laughs> and I get it. They're young and that's, and I get it, but it's, it's like so obvious when, you know, creators kind of shift from authentically creating content that matters to them to like thinking they're awesome and their content starts to spiral. Exactly. And I'm doing everything I can to just remain the 32 year old dad that just started making <laughs> videos a couple months ago. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is phenomenal. And that's, I mean, I know that there's a lot of age shaming that goes on in every industry, but it's like that. I think that being older and having that maturity is a real gift because you're less likely to succumb to a situation like that because you've lived a life already. You're already a fully yeah. grown, hopefully mature adult. But it's like, I I do give grace to a lot of those kids because I don't know, like money and attention at that age, at such a pivotal age. Yeah. Who knows? It, it can do a oh lot. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. for real. <laughs> So real. we we've already watched. I mean, I actually, Kevin has just come on board. I finally got him uh, into the Mister Ballin world. I've, nice. I yes. just yesterday. I hope this doesn't make me sound like an insane person, but just yesterday, <laughs> I I've now successfully watched all of your videos that are on YouTube. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, but. We watched your your story, the video the video that you did introducing yourself essentially, where you talked about um, sort of your previous life and your life now. But we wanted yeah. to provide some of that for our listeners, so we're going to take you back a little bit and ask you about your military career. Sure. So you grew up in Massachusetts, right? I did. Grew up in uh, Quincy, Mass. That's about ten minutes south of Boston. Do you like being an East Coast guy? 
<laughs> I didn't have much of a choice, but uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think I used to identify more as like a New Englander or an East Coaster when I was younger. Um, but as I've, I guess, grown up, um, I've kind of been happy to be away from the East Coast and just like living different places around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how old were you when you joined the military? I had just turned 22. So I, uh, it's a little bit strange, uh, the way you, the, the, so, so I was a, a Navy SEAL for a little while and the, the pathways into the SEAL teams are, are on paper the same as joining any other branch of the military or any other unit. Um, but they're, but they're really not in reality, um, because of the limited number of spots available to try out. Um, it's advantageous for uh, people that have college degrees that would normally, you know, apply to be an officer because all you need is a is a college degree to be an officer in the military. It's advantageous for those people with degrees to actually enlist. So take a massive pay cut and risk your career uh, to try out for the teams. And so I went to college, got a degree, and then promptly enlisted in the Navy, much to my family's chagrin. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's how it went. Yeah. So 22, freshly graduated, and then I enlisted in the Navy. What made you decide to go into the Navy? Um, well, I have uh, my whole spiel about it, but the gist is, <clears throat> you know, I, I grew up in a town where, or I should say, I grew up in a family where my, 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 my dad's a, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. My, my older sister is also a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. My my other sister, you know, she's working at Harvard in some lab studying bees and she's working on her PhD and my mom's professional writer. <laughs> and then there's me. Uh, I, I like kind of just didn't take school seriously. Um, I certainly had the aptitude, but I, my, my form of rebellion was like just being a student and like, that was it. <laughs> uh, so not, not much in the way of rebellion. I just was a bad student. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so when I you know, graduated high school, my, my grades were horrible and I, I wasn't even going to apply to college, but you know, my family being the academics, they, they are, they were like, you, you got to go to college. And so I was just a jerk and didn't do my application. My, my mom, you know, again, she's a professional writer. She wrote my essay and submitted it to, to college <laughs> on my behalf. and they actually got in touch with me and they were like, well, you know, uh, Mr. Allen, you're definitely an unorthodox student because of your grades. But that essay you wrote was so good that we're going to give you a chance to be a part of our school. Uh, so I got accepted, and then I promptly got kicked out after a semester uh, for horrible behavior. I was involved in a riot, and it was just a whole joke. Nice. And so I, I went home <laughs> so after a semester. I went back home, and I was literally living in my mom's basement. So like the cliche, like living in your mom's basement, like that was me after like failing completely. <laughs> and when I got home, my, my mom was like, and my dad, my, my parents are split. Like they were like, look, we've given you every opportunity. Uh, you've kind of screwed them all up. So it's up to you now what you want to do. Like get a job. If you want to go to college, you got to pay for it. You know, if you don't want to go to college, fine, but it's on you now. Uh, and so I think that was like my, my the first time in my life where I actually looked around and realized the damage that I was doing to my life. Uh, that was entirely my own doing. It was like the first time I think I ever really took responsibility for something. Um, and so instead of like complaining and, and, you know, acting like I was a victim, I just decided that I was going to get a job and go to a local school and just try to graduate college. I didn't know what I would do next. It just, that was my, my starting point. 
Yeah. And so I started getting up at four in the morning and biking to the local YMCA where I was a fitness instructor, which is about 10 steps lower than a personal trainer. You get paid minimum wage and do like <laughs> nothing, but it's an awful job. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, I went to school, I got my grades up, um, but I think it was like I, for the first time, was seeing what hard work uh, and kind of being your own cheerleader, what, what that felt like and looks like. And it was really kind of addicting to be on the right path, you know, by my own hand, to be doing it all on my own. Granted, I had put myself in this in this kind of precarious position in my life, but but it felt really good. And I started to wonder what I was going to do after college. You know, now that I'm I'm clearly on the path to graduation and I'm kind of like getting some respect back from my family. They see me as a, full, a fully functioning adult, but I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. Um, a lot of my friends had um, joined the military right out of high school. I graduated in uh, 2006. And so like all of my friends were going straight over to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and I just kind of idolized them. And I always thought the military was very interesting. And so I, I brought up my, I started talking about my general interest in the military around my mother. And then she was like, oh, yeah, you should talk to my best friend. Uh, her two brothers are both Navy SEALs. And I'm like, my, I'm like how do you have friends with Navy SEALs? <laughs> Either way, I, I, uh, I, I met up with, with these two uh, gentlemen who were Navy SEALs. And they actually, uh, you know, part of Team 6. And they were just about to retire. Um, and I met them up in New Hampshire at this, this camp they ran. And I remember I walked into this, this, this plywood hut that was basically like a, a hunting shack out in the middle of the woods. And I, I was told that's where they would be. And I, I walked inside. <laughs> oh my God. And it's, yeah. It's like, see, yeah, it's like super intense. And I walk inside this 19 year old kid, like so gung ho. Uh, and I open up this plywood door and I can hear all this chatter inside. And it's like, you know, grown men joking around that kind of thing. And I walk into this just like barren room. It's a dirt floor. There's these crappy seats sitting in a circle. And I don't know what these two guys look like. I just, I've been told they exist and this is where they are. <laughs> uh, and as soon as I walk through this door, I'm now like presenting myself to this room where these two guys, along with 10 other Navy SEALs are just sitting around and they all go silent and they look over at me and they're like, who the f are you? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm 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 Jonathan Allen. I'm friends with Jesse. Like, I'm here to meet uh, David Pete. <laughs> and uh, they they actually were very cool. Uh, it was just like the most intimidating moment I've had. But they they just talked me through it, and they were like, "Look, man, this, the SEAL teams are a great place for people who um, screwed things up. You know, like it's a place where it's a full, it's a pure meritocracy. It's very accessible. Anybody can try out, but you know, very few people make it. But if you do make it," No one's going to remember that you were some crappy student that didn't take things seriously. They're going to remember that you were a Navy SEAL and it's an, an honorable job and all that. And I just became obsessed. I looked at it as like an opportunity to, I guess, rebrand, you know, like get away from all the, the mediocrity of my life. It felt like the right thing for me. I didn't have anything on my resume to suggest that I was, you know, you know, capable of doing the training. But just it, I became so enamored with the idea of becoming a SEAL, it definitely for vanity, you know, to say that I had, but also because I, I definitely was, I wanted to, you know, serve my country. I wanted to go overseas and fight in the war, one of the two. Um, and so, yeah, I, I became obsessed. I kind of kept it under my hat a little bit. I told my mom, she was very supportive. I told my dad, he was not very supportive. Uh, and then I, and then I graduated uh, and then I enlisted. 
And then the rest is history. I became a SEAL. That's amazing that you made that, you know, quotes, rebrand so early in life. A lot of people, like, don't come across that realization of, like, I really need to get my shit together for a long period of time. Oh, yeah. So you did it at, what, 19? Yeah, 19. Yeah, That's it was, incredible. It's amazing. That takes a lot of self-awareness for sure exactly so congrats yeah. to you thank you <laughs> <laughs> did you do you miss being in the military now that you're that you're out or um so to be clear i'm, I'm very proud of having been in the military and i did i have some very fond memories but but no i i would not go back <laughs> for any yeah. amount of money <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm it, honestly, it was just, it's, it's a being a seal is, is, and, and honestly, I'm sure it's probably similar to other combat units. It's, it's, it's way more than a job. Um, it's, it's a lifestyle and it's a very, very damaging lifestyle in, in many ways for the right reasons, but it's just, I, I, I had no idea the toll doing that job would have. And it, there's a, there's a definite physical toll. There's an emotional toll. It's, it's on your mind constantly, like what you're up to, what you're doing, what you're going to be doing. You're always, always on the road or on the call to go somewhere. It's, it's just, it's a very, very difficult life. Um, and it's also, you're, you're in an environment that is hyper, hyper competitive. I mean, you're surrounded by people that have, you know, risen to the top amongst literally tens of thousands of people. And you're throwing them into, you know, a small team together. And we, we actually, we get along extremely well. But I mean, you, you are on your game every second of every day. I mean, everything is a competition. It's, it's so intense. Yeah. And by the time you're, by the time you're, you're leaving, you don't realize that like you're kind of on edge 24 seven. And I think a lot of people that realize that it's like a huge sigh of relief when, when they finally do get out. Cause it's just, it's, it's super intense. So more power to the people that stay in for longer. Uh, I was medically retired, so it was a little bit out of my hands, but even if I hadn't been medically retired, I, I was ready to go. It, it's it, interesting to hear that perspective on it. Cause I'm always curious about the mental health side of what that does to you being on 10 all day, 24 hours a day. If that makes sense. So especially when, um, you know, when I was watching all of your videos, but the, the, the <laughs> one, the one where you were explaining some of your background, where you were talking about, you know, some of the, uh, the dive drills that you were doing where you go to the bottom of a pool and you got somebody wrestling all your gear off and you're being starved of oxygen and you got to figure out how to think and all that stuff. Those types of situations, along with what you go through actually being a seal in the field, and then also being a seal out of the field, like how did that take a toll on your mind? You know, uh, I, you know, I, I've, I've been through hundreds of therapy sessions, uh, both during and after being in the military to try to kind of unpack, uh, you know, my life and the teams. Um, and actually it's funny, like there's, there's a huge stigma around, or at least there has been a huge stigma around mental health, you know, in the military, but in the teams, it is fully embraced. It's not even weird to go see a counselor. Like you, the job you're doing is so messed up that you're just like, yeah, of course you go see a counselor. So 
it's actually not taboo at all. That's uh, great. The teams. Um, and you know, honestly, it, it, the, 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 the PTS side, the, the post-traumatic stress, I, I think that I have more post-traumatic stress from, from just getting through training than actually doing the job. Cause the training is like, uh, so uh, for those who have no idea what seal training consists of, it's, it's a very long process. It takes about two years from start to finish, generally speaking, to become a seal. And that's assuming you, you make it, you know, it's about two years. Of those two years, there's a six-month period right right in the middle that is referred to um, as BUDS. It's the acronym BUDS. BUDS stands for Basic Underwater Demolition Seal Training. Oh yeah, um, and that's the famous part of seal training. It's the part that people know about if if they know anything about seal training. And it's basically just it's a selection course. You know, they're they're weeding. They the seal instructors are weeding people out to determine who's good enough to be a seal. And, and it's, it's just brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, and of the, you know, couple hundred people that will start in your class, uh, you know, maybe anywhere from 15 to 20 will graduate, but you got to remember that those 200 people that started the course have been filtered down from literally thousands and thousands of people. So it's a very competitive start point and still only a handful of people make it. Yeah. I um, mean, it's because I would say the mental grind of that course is, I mean, I, I, to this day, don't really know how I was capable of just getting up in the morning and, 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 you know, going to work because your days are seemingly endless. The challenges that you're presented are, they, they do at times feel physically, mentally, emotionally impossible. And there's never a pat on the back ever. It is a permanent F you. You have this yeah. next <laughs> awful thing you're responsible for. Yeah. And the prize at the end of the road is like going to war. But like that's how that's how it is. You're kind of, you're breeding people to go to war. But some of the uh, the test gates, uh, the, the tests we had to do. Um, the worst one is called uh, pool competency or pool comp for short. Yeah, uh, it happens actually far into the course where you know you've already completed the uh, hell week, which is a well known part of SEAL training where they keep you awake for about a week and just you literally just start losing your mind because oh you're God. not sleeping. Yeah. Um, you, you, once you've passed a bunch of the kind of big tests, you know, you, you know, you've passed the one where they tie your hands and throw you in the water, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Later on in training, uh, before they allow you to begin doing more advanced underwater diving, you have to pass this thing called pool comp. Uh, and what it is is, you know, they ha- they call it all, they call it all sorts of things in the course. You know, it's emergency procedures drills, or it's you know practicing what'll happen if you get caught up in the surf, and there, there's all these kind of like politically correct names but the reality of what the, the test is is it's simulated drowning i mean there's really no two ways about it they're going to put you in the pool for 20 minutes the test is 20 minutes uh, you have a scuba tank on and you see you jump in the water it's huge olympic sized pool it's uh you, you jump in at the nine foot section and when you enter the water uh you land on your knees you can never put your feet on the, the deck of the pool and you look around and you see like all these other testers that are in their lanes. Uh, imagine like in a swimming pool, you have the black lanes that run across the bottom vertically along the pool yeah. to designate, you know, your swim lane. Well, your test, your pool comp test will be conducted uh, along one of those stripes. As the student, you stay on one of the stripes. So there's, you know, 10 lanes in the pool. You jump in the water and you're looking around. It's silent once you've jumped in. And all you see is just chaos of just all these students getting flipped around. Their hoses ripped out, but they're on their little strip. And yeah. you got to crawl your way over to your lane. Uh, and then you have two instructors that proceed to come down and pull your masks off, pull your hoses off. You're going 
30 seconds to a minute and a half uh, without, without any error. And you're being tested not just on your ability to survive, but on your ability to follow these procedures that never change. It's a progression that I could probably do it today, and I haven't done it in 10 years. It's like so drilled into your head. It's basically like turning on your system again and checking to make sure it works. But it doesn't matter how bad the problem is. You always start with the same you know, procedures all in a row. And so by the end, as the test gets harder and harder, meaning you're going longer without air and then presenting harder problems, you're truly on the verge of blacking out and you've been hypoxic for the duration of the test, but the procedures you're doing are getting more complicated. And so it's like this, you have to find it somewhere in your, your soul to not pass out. And it is like a struggle. It's, it's, it's so difficult to stay focused as you're literally, you know, dying basically. Uh, but like you find a way at the end of this test, you realize that you really are capable of, you know, doing things that are kind of impossible if your mind is kind of engaged. If you stay engaged mentally, you can do this stuff. But I stunk at this test and I failed it a whole bunch of times. Um, and I was basically on the verge of being kicked out of the program if I didn't pass it on a particular day. And so my wife at this point, you know, we got married super young, married it. You know, she was still in college and we got married. We're still married this, uh, today. And she moved out to San Diego with me. Her whole life is kind of being bet on on me and success of the, in this course. And I had to pass this test, you know, or else we were going to get by shift to Japan and I was going to have some crappy job and that was going to be that. Oof. I managed to pass it, but yeah, pool comp, that, that haunts me. I can't <laughs> I believe that one. you had to do that multiple times. <laughs> oh, God. I, I think I think combined, I did the math. Uh, I, I, I'd been underwater being tested, so getting screwed. <laughs> for about 81 minutes. Oh, oh my lord. God. So 81 minutes of simulated drowning. It was the worst. Well, I think that w- how the military and the navy is sort of portrayed in film. It's like I remember being young and going and seeing GI Jane and having fantasies being like I I could do that. I could be and now as an adult I'm like there's no fucking way. There's <laughs> no way. And I thank you yeah. to all of the people <laughs> in the military for doing a job that I could literally never do. Like yeah. I I'm yeah. so grateful cuz it's just I can't even imagine 81 minutes forget it. That's crazy. Yeah. I hate being yeah. in a pool by myself casually. <laughs> like Yeah. Nah. Or like trying to wrap my head around reaching a place of Zen while somebody's trying to drown you. Forget it. Yeah. So props <laughs> yeah. to you, yeah. John. <laughs> God bless you, John. <laughs> so um, when you decided to go into sort of the social media realm, um, mm-hmm. were you already a person that loved to tell stories? Or how did this how did this whole incarnation for you come about? Yeah, um, so I, I, I so when I, I so there's kind of a backstory to it. I, I got hurt in Afghanistan in 2014 uh, that ultimately prompted my my early retirement, my medical retirement. I, there was a we got not really ambushed, but we got shot up. A grenade detonated next to me. Uh, close call. I, I kept my limbs, but. Oh. Uh, wow. a, a true, a true near death experience. Um, and so it ultimately prompted a medical retirement, not right away, uh, but there was some, uh, you know, after effects that led to my retirement. So it was fairly abrupt though. I knew I was going to be more than likely medically retired. I, I, I was anticipating that, but the, the, 
it happened much more quickly than I, I was ready. So I was anticipating an exit from the military sometime in 2018. And then I'm being told, no, just kidding, you're leaving in 2017. And that's not that big of a deal uh, because I was going to have a medical retirement. So you get a pension and there's, there's, you know, I can, I can live off of that to a degree. Yeah. But I had nothing lined up. I had no job, no anything. Um, and I just decided I, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta find a job, you know, obviously for, to provide for my family. And in looking for a job, I kind of discovered that, you know, as much as certainly within the SEAL teams, there's this idea that, you know, in virtue of having been a SEAL, this is SEALs talking about themselves. This is me talking about myself. In <laughs> virtue of, uh, in virtue of being a SEAL, you know, I can do anything I want. You know, everybody's going to want to hire me. You know, I have all these skills, I have all these great things I can bring to the table. I'm so cool. I'm so awesome. Uh, but the truth is, like, yeah, plenty of people are going to be interested in you as a SEAL and me as a SEAL. But when it comes to business, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You know, what, what are you going to bring to the table? Like that, that's really what people are going to hire for. Um, and the reality for, for SEALs and for anybody leaving the military is there's loads of respect, but there's not lots of jobs, at least not the jobs that they think they're capable of doing or are capable of doing. Because there's just a skill translation there that's not happening. And I discovered this quickly because I needed a job now. Not, not like soon. I needed it now. Yeah. And I didn't want to do the, I'll just take a job down the road at a fast food joint. I wanted a career. And I was finding over and over again, despite really trying hard to present myself as this you know, you know, great business-minded person, nobody was that interested. And it wasn't disrespectful. It was just a fact of life. And so I wound up creating uh, with this other gentleman named uh, Jordan Selleck. He's a civilian I met through through LinkedIn. We founded this charity that at first was not meant to be a charity, it, and it winded up being one. It's called Elite Meet, uh, and it's basically this networking uh, organization. It's alive and well. I'm, not, I'm no longer the CEO, but they uh, they basically host these really exclusive networking events for uh, elite military professionals and elite business people. And basically, the idea is some of the best jobs uh, in industry are presented to these uh, elite uh, military members because there's a, we do a lot of work to translate their skills to the business professionals and vice versa. So we're kind of like setting the stage for these two parties to meet because we believe they can be valuable to each other. They just don't understand each other's skill sets. That's such Anyhow, a so, great thing. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah it, it, it worked out well. Um, but the, the reason I say all this is because in order to generate in order to raise money for this organization, which I had never raised money before, um, I, I, I just I didn't like the idea of like, I don't know, going and calling people right away and like, I don't know, doing like call-a-thons. I don't know. I just I didn't really know how to do it. I figured like the almost easy button would be, well, go on LinkedIn and, and start like, you know, generating some interest around the organization by creating content and try to draw people into the organization more organically and then ask them for money. Yeah. And I just started writing stories uh, largely about my own personal experience as a SEAL. But the idea was interest people in my story so I can say there's loads of people just like me in this organization. You should come to one of our events. You should hire them. And it worked beautifully uh, through, you know, literally tiny little donations over the course of a couple of years. We were raising, you know, easily hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. We crossed a million dollars after, I think, a little less than two years. And it's all on these little micro donations that have been funneled in through social media, through largely uh, my and my co-founders LinkedIn presence. And so around 2018, 
uh, I was realizing that I was pretty good at telling a story, not the ones we're seeing on YouTube now, but just <laughs> telling a story <laughs> on LinkedIn. It was all written. And my, my mother was helping me a lot, helping me put together the copy for some of these, these posts. Um, and I decided to kind of, I don't know, I go with it and, and try to make more than just, I, I didn't, I didn't want to just advertise for a charity to raise money. That was great and all, but I, I wanted to like be something bigger using the internet. I didn't really know what that was going to be. Uh, it started with kind of pushing uh, more stories about myself that were about my SEAL experience, but a little bit more dramatic. Um, you know, nothing that was overly sensitive, but just kind of about, you know, some cool stuff I had done in the SEAL teams. Uh, and I had, oh, it was horrible. Uh, so in the SEAL teams, um, there is a very intense, uh, call, it, call it line in the sand that you do not cross. And that is, despite the fact you can Google right now Navy SEAL and you'll find a litany of books and movies and TV shows and talk show hosts and da-da-da-da, all SEALs, all doing this stuff. Despite that, the actual community, the actual SEAL community hates anybody who crosses the line, which is begins talking about themselves, to sell themselves, to market being a Navy SEAL uh, yeah. online. Now, of course, there are certain instances where this is, it's unique. You know, if you're, if you're, when I was doing it for elite meat, right? Like that's a little bit different because I was clearly bringing in money for the SEAL community and everybody attested to it. Right. But when yeah. I began saying, Hey, look at me, I'm on Instagram now. I'm Mr. Navy SEAL. Check me out and come follow me. And that's, that's the end game. Follow my account. Yeah. Uh, it was working, <laughs> but it generated a lot of hate. I mean, I mean a staggering level of, of oh, hate. No. Um, yeah, like I, I was, it, I've never been more depressed in my life, you know, because, because it was like, every, I couldn't escape it. It was like, once you're, once you put stuff on the internet, you know, you really can't get away from it. And I, I was getting bombarded from people that I knew intimately well. This is not oh, anonymous. Man. These are people that are like my literal closest friends oh. are sending me like these detailed, just oh, so deep cutting and they weren't, they weren't wrong. It isn't like they were accusing me of things I, I was not doing. Right. They were accusing me of the exact thing I was doing. And at first, I was mad at them. I was blaming them. How dare they? But then I kind of came to terms with the reality that if I was still active duty and I saw someone doing what I was doing, I would probably react the same way. Uh, you know, e Even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter. That, that's the culture. And I know the culture. I'm from the community. I get it. Yeah. And so I was, at a, I was in a very dark place. Um, and so... I was, I remember I went to um, Great Wolf Lodge. It's like this indoor water park. It's big around where we live. Uh, we have little kids. Um, we went there in March of two, uh, 2018. And at this time, I had posted a couple things here and there on TikTok, but this was right at the end of, I'm still posting about being a SEAL and I'm getting lots and lots of hate and I'm, my wife's seeing how miserable I am. And we're trying to figure out like, what am I going to do here? My, my personal brand is so tied up and being Mr. Navy SEAL. And I remember I went to Great Wolf Lodge and I went back to the room. My kids were at the park, my wife's at the park. And I went back to our room and I just like suddenly had this motivation to do something completely out of left field. I, I was like, you know, I personally have always been interested in the strange, dark and mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been interested in, uh, in mysteries and you know, unexplained and paranormal and that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'm going to tell a story uh, on TikTok. I'm going to tell a 60 second story about what I think is one of the coolest mysteries out there, which is the Dyatlov Pass 
uh, mystery yeah. where those hikers. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it was recently, you know, recently they, they believe they solved it. But basically the gist is for those listening, nine hikers go missing in the Ural Mountains in the 50s and they're found again, you know, weeks later. And they've been just like just physically mauled and they're all over the their clothes have been taken off and others are wearing different bits of clothing and they're they're radioactive. And the official uh, the official kind of statement of what happened by the Soviet Union was that these hikers had been overcome by some quote unknown force. And it's just this really intriguing story. And so I told the Dyatlov Pass story on my TikTok account. Uh, I hit post and I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is a, this is desperation. Right. And I posted it. Uh, and then I left the room to go hang out with my kids. And when I came back, there was like, you know, four or five, six million views on it. And people Whoa. were like, wow, this is so interesting. Um, and it was like really cool. And not because I thought here's my way out or something. It was just like, wow, how cool is that to be, to be doing something that is completely independent of being Mr. Navy SEAL. Uh, that that to me was just it was so refreshing. I was not thinking career. I was just thinking I'm going to just keep doing this because that felt really good. Not even the virality of it so much as just like doing something new. And so I went on the most insane content creation binge where I was posting, you know, three times a day, seven days a week. I gained uh, like a million followers on on TikTok in the span of like four weeks, uh, oh only just God. by a hundred percent doing like the strange, dark and mysterious stuff. Yeah. Like I was intentionally not doing, I was avoiding military content completely. Uh, and, you know, I, I continued to post on TikTok, you know, opportunities began coming in and you know, I got verified over there. That was really cool. And then it was like, I'm up to seven and a half million followers. And then I decided uh, in June of uh, last year that if I really wanted to make a career out of this, yeah, there's a pathway to that on TikTok. I mean, there's sponsorships and, there's actually this thing called like the creator fund where TikTok will actually pay you some, it's, it's a incredibly small amount of money, but they pay you royalties for your videos. But if I want to make a career out of this, cause I could, I felt my passion. I really, I love, I really do. And I'll get to the, the original question. I, I love telling stories. Um, I needed to go someplace where there's a more established way to make money. And that, and that was YouTube. And so I went over to YouTube and I posted some videos they started taking off and i can actually just watch my analytics starting with june 1st because that's when i really said okay i'm gonna do youtube now and i just began creating content like a maniac uh and the, and the page you know really took off i kind of found my my groove of what how i like telling stories and kind of the format to it and and now i'm kind of in a rhythm um and i am able to do this full time i you know i left elite meet i was the ceo up until um I guess mid to late last year, we hired this amazing woman named uh, Meg Thatford who came in. And she's doing great over at Elite Meet. Um, I also built another um, another company that's like a mentorship program for aspiring military members called Operators Association. That was my side hustle, and now that's a great business as well. It's being run by a guy named Zach Hughes. But I left everything, and I'm just doing YouTube now. Uh, and to your question about do I love telling stories, I, I grew up hearing stories and telling stories with, with family members that are, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists. My, my yeah. whole life was, yeah. was stories. And so I, I communicate in stories. In fact, I remember when I would give talks um, as the CEO of Elite Meet, because, you know, any event, I would give a couple of words. I would get so nervous before speaking. But the only way I could calm down was if I put my kind of speech into story format. It was like my brain just works when it comes to telling a story 
And it's not even that I can just do it. It's that it puts me at ease. Like when I'm telling a story, as you've probably heard in this interview here, it's just that that's where I, I thrive. It's my, it's just, I, I communicate the best and I'm happiest when I'm talking in story format. So you are so brilliant at it. When we were recording your intro, we were talking about this because I obviously love storytelling as well. My way of doing it is obviously different, but I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I love listening to other people telling stories and it's a very specific talent that not everybody has. Like, sure, they can tell a good story, meaning that the information that they're delivering is interesting. But the thing that kept me watching your videos was how you told it. Like, you are somebody that when you're speaking, you make me as an audience member invested and you scare the shit out of me too, which you're not even, I was, I was telling our listeners earlier, it's like, you don't overperform. You're not vaudevillian. There's not a, a ton of like gesticulations and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, you really pull in your audience and you know how to build anticipation and you know how to build fear. And like, you're just so, you're so brilliant at it. So thank you. Even in this interview format, it's like, I don't even want to say anything because I don't want to. That's so captivating. I don't even want to interrupt you. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm really interested in your research process. Like, how do some of these stories come to you? Do people deliver them to you sometimes? Like, when you tell people to hit you up on, on your different social media platforms, like, do people tell you weird things and then you also find them on your own? Like, what does your research process entail? Sure. Uh, honestly, it's, it's kind of a nightmare. Um, I, 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 it's a, it's a nightmare for a lot of reasons. It's a nightmare because I, you know, for as organized as I am, when I tell a story, uh, you, you should see every, every other aspect of my life. It's a big storm. There's, it's a chaos all everywhere I go. Everything's a mess. And my research is, 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 is like that. It's like a beautiful disaster where I have pages and pages and pages and pages of ideas and future topics um, but it's all over the place. So it's 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 a mess trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, but there's a, in terms of like how I get the information, um, I I do get a lot of suggestions in my DMs. And I actually, um, I, ha- I have someone that literally goes through my DMs specifically to find, you know, suggested stories just to make sure we're not missing them. Um, and I, I have the subreddit. Uh, so there's a subreddit just called Mr. Ballin where people can suggest their stories as well. But the issue I run into um, is I'm, I'm very particular about the type of story, um, I want to tell on the channel, uh, not only because I want it to be rooted in either fact or true credibility. If it's a first person account, I want this to be something that, you know, holds up to a degree. Obviously there's, there's a level of fictionalization just to keep the, the story kind of flowing, but it's the core of the story. Uh, it needs to be, it needs to be true or incredibly believable, and there has to be something to wait for. There has to be. There's literally not a story that I've told where there isn't something that you should wait to hear about. Um, and I think that that's that that that's you know storytelling 101 in many ways. You know, you you have to you have to promise your audience early on, either literally by saying it or just in the way you're talking about the topic. You need them to believe there's going to be something worth waiting for at the end. And if there isn't, it's not worth telling on the channel, even if it's a fascinating story. Right. 
And so I go through, I spend probably like, I literally, uh, you know, last night I, I, I was up all night, you know, just researching and <clears throat> I will read hundreds of stories. I'll read suggestions on, su on subreddits and it, it takes me hours and hours and hours to settle on even one topic. And many of these stories or these videos, I'm telling three. Um, and so it's, it's a real grind just getting to a place where I've selected the story. Um, and it usually takes usually between eight and 14 hours to just identify a topic and begin writing about it. Oh my and God. then, um, and then I, uh, will film for about two to five hours and then I'll edit for another two to three. And then I kick it to my, my editor, Wes, Wes J Adams, shout out to you. Uh, and also Tori Belena, who's one of our other editors. And they will spend another seven plus hours on it to make it look nice and neat. And yeah. then it's posted. And then it's, it's so, I'm sure you know this just having been, I, I don't know, but in showbiz, there's so much energy and so much effort that goes into something that if it's done well, it looks incredibly simple. And it looks like anybody could do it. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, oh, oh. But like that's, that means they did a great job. Yes. And that a lot of work was put into it. Yeah. I mean, at least for my job, for the acting portion of what I do in... <laughs> In my work, it's like I get off easy comparatively because, you know, I I have to memorize other people's words and I have to do my own character development, but I'm not finding the story, writing the story, filming the story, <laughs> editing the story, yeah, acting the story. Like <laughs> that's that's intense. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my sleep schedule is a complete nightmare right now. Uh, no, I, I, I do sleep, though. Honestly, I, when I first first started, like in June, yeah, June to like November, I truthfully was sleeping, you know, I, I was at a significant sleep deficit all the time. Um, but it was, I was so excited. I still am, but I was like the early days of doing this YouTube thing when I really first started it. And like, despite this, you know, very saturated platform, I'm somehow carving out this, this niche where people are really interested in these stories. It was like, so, so motivating still is but i mean it, it, this is like life-changing as it's happening and i know it is and it's just it was it was easy basically to to be literally up days and days at a time uh, and sleeping for a couple hours here and there and truthfully my, my navy seal training actually literally helped me <laughs> uh, i've been through lots of sleep that. deprivation <laughs> I've, I've gone through lots of sleep deprivation and so i, I, I had a couple times where i would get behind this is like back in you know, July and August, I would get behind where I really needed to get a story to, to Wes in order to have it out on time. It just meant, you know, I'm not going to sleep tonight. And even though I'm, you know, 36 hours without sleep, I'm still not going to sleep. Tonight. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit 48 hours without sleep. And I would just think, well, like, dude, you've been awake for five and a half days before. So like, this is, this is nothing. You can yeah. just do this. And so I literally would like, kind of, they call it in, uh, in, in, in seer training. That's like basically how to evade and, how to survive torture training. Uh, they call it staying in your circle um, where you basically, you go internal and you kind of like, don't let things distract you and you just focus on survival. Uh, and I would just go to my circle, which was research, write, shoot the video, edit the video, kick it to Wes and then sleep and then just do it all over again. Wow. Yes. So your steel training really prepared you for uh, the career that you're in now being a, a creator. And yeah. also I'm assuming for fatherhood as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a weird way, it has. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So is there a story that you've ever found that has actually scared you? <clears throat> hmm. 
I think that, that I, I'm sure there have been moments where I've read a story and, you know, I've gotten chills. And a lot of times that's a good indication that it's a story worth doing. Um, but I think that the reality is, is the, the story that has scared me the most uh, is my own story. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the first stories I told. It's called, uh, you know, what I saw in my room still haunts me. It's one of the one of my top videos on my channel. And it was one of the first stories I told. And if you watch it, you can tell that there's simply no format to it. I mean, now there's definitely more of a format to my videos. This one was pretty much, I sat down and told it in about 45 minutes, which is incredibly fast by my standards. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was about uh, when I was 16, I was at a cabin up in New Hampshire with some friends. Um, and I had, you know, either a really, really visceral and intense sleep paralysis uh, event, you know, where I'm awake, but can't move. And there's these horrible shadow people moving around the house, uh, or it was something paranormal. Um, and I think that the truth is I, <clears throat> people ask me, you know, just over the past few months, lots of people want to know my stance on, you know, are you, a, are you a believer, you know, in the paranormal? Is that, is that where you're at? And I don't say that I am, I'm, I'm more just really intrigued by things that we don't understand. Yeah. And I like telling stories. And so that's where I kind of fit. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I don't believe it. I'm just saying I'm more like a, a, an open-minded skeptic. But this experience that I had, which it's too long to just like casually throw out here, but basically three nights in a row, I witnessed this shadow figure moving around uh, this house and I couldn't move. And it was just bone-chillingly terrifying. And even just thinking about it now, whether it was sleep paralysis or not, it just terrifies me. And if you watch this video, again, it's just called What I Saw in My Room Still Haunts Me. It's probably the only video where, and I've watched it, where I don't have a kind of playful enthusiasm telling the stories. You really don't. Times, you don't. Yeah, I, I'm like, kind of like this, this was just horrible. Yeah. It had like a real impact on my life. And it's a very emotional telling of the story. Uh, and so that, that to me still, uh, it, it, that, that one scares me. In terms of other stories, um, I, I, I can't recall any that I was truly scared by, uh, but there's definitely been plenty that have been disturbing to me, for sure. I I held off on watching that video, the one that we're talking about right now, what I saw in my room terrified me. I held off on that for the longest time. Like that, I watched that, I think, maybe on Monday of this week. <laughs> and I didn't, I had the hardest time going to bed for two nights after <laughs> listening to that story. Because here's the thing, yeah. like, I I definitely am, I'm similar. I'm very open to the fact that there's so much that we as human beings probably don't know, don't understand. Like, I'm open to all of that stuff, but I've had mm -hmm. experiences like that. And it's so terrifying that I was like, no, I'm not fucking with this video. And then the other <laughs> yeah. day I was like, okay, I'm finally going to do it. I got up the nerve and like everything that you said about how you felt in that moment how much that uh, affected you was definitely palpable in the video. Like 10 out of 10 recommend. It's a really amazing story, but it's also really terrifying. So I was just yeah. curious if you, if you, if you felt that way about other things, but that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a very scary situation. I think what's, yeah. coo what's cool with that story as well is I, I think Tina and I are like, she said, we're, we're the same where it's open-minded skeptic about the situations like that yeah but the fact that it happened to you three nights in a row 
is the part that yeah. scares the shit out of me because I'm just like, oh my god. It's like once, then you go, okay, well, well something must have happened. I have no idea what's going. on. But three in a row is like, forget it. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I actually be well before before YouTube. I it the the you know, rumor got out in the SEAL teams that that I had this ghost story. I had told it to one of my very close friends. Uh, you know, during early parts of training, uh, and he's this really kind of outgoing, charismatic guy. And he started telling people like, you, you got to get John to tell you his ghost story. Like it's, it's just, it's out of this world. I've never heard anything like it. Yeah. And so I put it off I put it off. And then I remember we were out in, uh, in Laguna, California doing some, some land warfare training, super long, super long day. We were at the, the shoot house all day, which is where you're shooting live rounds inside of a building. It's very stressful. We're running around with like heavy weights and it's like this totally chaotic day. And that night, I promised everybody that I would tell this story. And so I, it's like, it's like, I was at the very end of SEAL training uh, in, in the advanced portion. So we, we know we're going to be, we're going to be SEAL soon. And there's like 50 of us. I've worked with these guys for, you know, better part of a year and a half now. And I remember we, we, we got to, up to the little shack we were all staying in. The instructors left. So it was just us. And like out under the night sky, I told the story. We're all still wearing our full kits. Everyone's dirty. And these are like tough soon to be Navy SEALs. Yeah. Uh, and everybody was like inching closer to me and closer to me throughout <laughs> the story. And they're like, you could just see it on people's faces that they were not like goofing around with each other. They were like really deeply invested. People are like, looking over their shoulders and getting closer and closer. And by the end, everyone's like right next to me, like waiting on every word. <laughs> and they were like shook by it. People yeah, oh, were afterwards yeah. like, like I've never heard anything like that before. Um, and so that story has become kind of legendary uh, in the team. So that people talk about that story. <laughs> That's incredible because it really is that that really. I mean, you you cover everything. So you cover paranormal stuff. You some of my favorite uh, videos are in your the series that you do, like the top three places that people shouldn't mm-hmm. go. But those they are my do. those are my favorite. Uh there's so, some of those are so I'm claustrophobic, so some of your stories <laughs> oh, <laughs> really like, induce claustrophobia <laughs> for me. Like chimney dude, the chimney dude. Oh my that one's god, brutal. that was that one's terrible. Yeah. yeah, but you cover all of these these different topics, and I was wondering because it's sort of a broad spectrum of of happenings. What does your Google cache look like? <laughs> Like, what's the weirdest thing that you've had to Google? Oh, man. I mean, the thing that, that trips me up uh, <laughs> that is, uh, this is horrible. And I, I, I hope that people understand that I, I'm not a terrible person. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I was doing this story kind of recently um, where it was a places you can't go and people who went anyways. And I, I had discovered, um, because again, my line of work is finding stories that are macabre and disturbing, uh, strange, dark, and mysterious. And uh, I found that there's lots of stories about people getting trapped inside of ovens and horrible things like that, um, basically getting burned alive, steamed alive, that kind of thing. And I went on this kick of researching you know, people getting autoclaved to death, people getting trapped in ovens. And I remember I was just I was in the middle I was in the middle of filming, uh, and so the way I film is I I will just turn on my camera and let it run until I'm done, and I'll literally just like stop and I'll do multiple takes, but I, I don't stop the camera. I just do one solid take, and 
I uh, <laughs> was doing this video where uh, somebody fell into a, this this manhole and literally got steamed alive. Oh, I remember that oh, one. Horrible yeah. story. Yeah, hor- horrible story. Um, and this is where I need people to understand I'm not a terrible person. Um, <laughs> so I was struggling to film the, that particular segment where I would start and then I would stop and it was just, it was a mess. And so while the camera was rolling, I just like logged into my computer, it's filming me. Uh, and I just like started going on YouTube to just kind of take my mind off of the, the segment I was trying to film. Um, and I found this video, you know, as YouTube randomly suggests stuff to you, I found this video of this guy uh, who had won the lottery and, and he had, was filming himself. He won a lot of money. We're talking like 60, $70 million, like life-changing money times yeah. infinity. And he filmed himself giving money to his sons and his sons are teenagers. They clearly don't have very much money. Um, it wasn't in English. I think they were Dutch. Uh, and he's like so excited to give money to his sons. And it was just this, this, this it was so real. And it, it, it was obviously very staged, but it was, it was just so cool. It was like this amazing video. And, and I'm, I'm really taken with this like two minute long video. I'm smiling and it's like, so, so awesome. <laughs> I really, it was like, wow, what a great video. And also as the recording is filming me, it, I stopped the video. I kind of, you know, I composed myself. <laughs> My first line <laughs> is like, and then he got steamed alive. <laughs> and I'm, like, oh, I'm such a mess. It's like I'm. This is so uplifting. Oh, what a wonderful video! All right, back to what I do. Here's this guy got steamed alive. Oh, <laughs> God! And it's like, wow, I am, I am all over the place. But yeah, like I, I find myself researching stuff that is just horrific. Oh, uh, I'm sure. And, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is, though. It's I've, I've been pretty. The, the way I look at it is like you know I, I do everything in my power to make sure that when I'm telling a story that I'm not victim blaming or painting a picture of somebody that, Oh, they're dumb for what happened to them. Instead. It's like, these things really happened. There are people that want to hear about these things. And as long as you do it with some level of respect, um, then it's okay. And and I do speak to victims, families. I speak to people that are involved in these stories. I try to reach out and tell people about what I'm doing. And yes, there are definitely people that say, F you take it down or F you don't do it. Uh, and that's fine. But there are also lots of people that say, thank you for bringing awareness to, to what happened, especially some of the more the, the unsolved cases. There's been a couple where the family of these these people that have gone missing or who have been murdered, but no one knows what, how they got killed or by who that have reached out and actually thanked me for, you know, putting millions of people under the story. You know, so there's, there's, there's that to it. That's yeah. real. I didn't even think about that. That's really amazing. That has to be a, a real upside of obviously not the people saying "fuck you," sure. take it down. Uh, especially, um, but, especially with the unsolved <laughs> stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that, really that, cool. That is pretty good. Yeah. Well, that's what technology is great for is is actually being able to contact people pretty quickly, getting in touch with people that you you actually want to talk to them about either their story or their relative story. I'm sure that that's, that's just an amazing piece of the, of your job now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Does your wife ever help you with research? Lately she has been. Uh, so, I mean, we have three young kiddos. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a uh, six-month-year-old. And so she's got her hands full, you know, 99% of the time. But I mean, she usually on, uh, on Friday nights or on Sunday nights, I'll present her with uh, with the topics I'm, I'm interested in for the week, and uh, she's she's remarkably objective. 
uh, and doesn't <laughs> care if I seem really invested in a story. She'll just say it's a, it's not worth doing. Um, so she's actually lately, uh, over the past probably you know, a couple of months, uh, virtually every story has been uh, at least blessed by her. Uh, and she's shot down a couple for sure that I would have done. And now looking at those now, I'm like, yeah, I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't do that one. So she's a good producer. <laughs> she's great. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. She, she's she's the best. That's, that's very cool. That's so cool. Does she, does she love that you're doing that now since you get to be at home? and? She does. I, you know, my We, we met back in college. Uh, so we've been together now, coming up on 10 years. And so she... She n- knew me when I was a, a, a kind of a jackass in college, yeah. um, which has been good for our relationship because she got to see the transformation into, you know, a, a mature and, you know, good person. Yeah. Um, but a- as a result of really knowing me uh, and knowing me well before seal dumb and YouTube dumb, um, <laughs> she uh, she's she's just very straightforward with with our relationship and what she wants and needs. And she's she's just. She's not a. She's not like. Wow, it's so cool you're doing YouTube. It's more like. All right, well, we got to feed the kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, you know and so it's it's a very practical thing. So she's she's proud and she's interested, but ultimately, uh, we're just the same people that met in college, and we just got a family to take care of, and it's crazy what I'm doing, but you know, it's just it's just normal for us now. That's so cool. That's excellent because it's like it's not it's the same as you are, which is all based in reality. It's just no, like we got to feed the kids and we got to live and this is fun. Yeah. If you were to give advice to anyone at any age who's wanting to make a change in their life and do something that maybe their family or their friends or their peers think is crazy. Like what, what is advice that you would give to anybody that's, feeling a, a tug in a certain direction but doesn't know if they should go for it or not what's your advice i i feel really strongly about this uh, because in my life um starting from when i screwed up in school and kicked out of college and i had to kind of like figure out you know what am i going to do next and that's when i got a job and i you know went to college that was that was the or when i started paying for college that was the first time where, like I had said earlier, I you know, took ownership of my own screw-ups and, and took ownership of my life. And it was really empowering. And I can tell you that while people were certainly, you know, my parents and my family were, were very eager for me to be successful in college and all that, there was very low levels of expectations. It was more like, you've already screwed up, so great, like go to college, cool. Um, and so <clears throat> that was the first time that I really had to take ownership of, of my life, so to speak. And that was really empowering for me. And when I, cho- when I chose to join the Navy and be a SEAL, that was another time that I, you know, really took ownership of what I wanted to do. And there was lots of people in my life at the time, uh, my dad, namely, that did not think it was such a great idea, but I had already experienced what it felt like to, you know, get a job and go to college and kind of take ownership again. And so I was just eager to, I guess, send it for lack of a better description uh, and then when I became a SEAL, it's like that was the product of hard work, right? I set, a, I set a, a goal for myself and I worked hard for it. And then actually experiencing what it was like to achieve that goal, it just reinforced the idea that like the more you can take ownership of your life, take ownership of your failures, and just continue to set goals for yourself, the happier you'll be. Uh, and then I also had the advantage of when I was in the SEAL teams, um, I did have a, 
a near-death experience um, that certainly crystallized this idea that you know, you, like, what, there's nothing worth waiting for you know, in this life. You, know, you, you're, you don't know how much time you have left. Um, and it's far better to just send it, you know, and, and take risks and, you know, hopefully things work out. But I would just say I, I had lots of times in my life where I've had people not necessarily believing it was going to be successful for me or didn't necessarily think I'd be good at what I was doing. But I've always just thought, you know, whatever, like send it. And if it doesn't go well, you can do something else. It's great advice. Yeah. Such great advice. John, we know that you're a very busy man, and we appreciate you taking this time to speak with us. I am so happy yeah. that we connected over Instagram. I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to us. We think you're fantastic. We're going to keep watching you. Thank you for what you do. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking this time to come and hang out with us for a minute. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to be harassing you on Instagram while I'm watching your videos. <laughs> yeah, right on. Right on. Thank you. <laughs> All right, John, have a good one. Thank you so much. Yes. Of course. Get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, Take bye. Care. See you, John. What a cool dude. Yeah. Like, basically in everything, too. It's not just as a human, but in everything he's accomplished, too. Here's like, what blows my mind, yeah. okay? I'm definitely someone who understands on a very real level why people say, like, don't meet your heroes, right? Yeah. yeah. And because he was such a, a huge part of my quarantine... <laughs> And I'm sure that he's still going to continue to be a, a part of my life because I just love the videos that he creates. I think he's just an incredible talent. I was nervous to meet him because I didn't really know what to expect. And obviously, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a consumer. I'm watching something that I really love. And how do you know what a person is really like in real life versus what they're like in their videos, right? Like... What if there's a huge discrepancy? And there's not. No. And I'm so thankful and I'm so happy because now I'm an even bigger fan. Like I'm an even bigger fan now having talked to him just as a person. Yes, me too. And it's great to hear him speak so eloquently as he does in the videos. Because what it does for me, at least, reinforces the fact that he's not delivering you a performance he's the real deal like that was a phone call with that guy and listen to how he speaks like it's just he's a natural talent at what he does and the fact that it was able to align for him and to this career that he's created is the best thing ever and it'll show you that like if you like he said just send it and send if it, it feels right and you send it look what happens I'm so happy that you brought up in the episode while he was talking. You're like, I don't even want to interrupt you because that's what I was thinking. We prepared all of these questions over this past week when we knew that we had him coming on. And first of all, just through him speaking, he answered all of them. Yes. Unprompted. Okay. That's a real fucking pro. Yeah. We're just sitting here like checking off questions. We didn't even have to ask him. <laughs> you were like i don't even want to interrupt you and i was like me neither just keep talking that's how i felt i'm looking around the room going like i love listening just naturally 
taking in what he has to say, the way that he delivers information, you can digest it mentally so easily. He's just a, what's the word? He's just a natural talent. He's a natural talent, but he's so, see, like, and my fucking brain's not working. Okay. He's a Navy SEAL. He's died like 16 times before he became a YouTuber. So it's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm like, what's that word? Yeah. So like. He's a riveting speaker. Yeah, he really is. Wow. There are so many good pieces of just life advice and everything that he was saying. I love that he was in a low moment and he goes into that hotel room and he just sort of followed his interest. You know, when we've talked before about following your joy, following your heart, like I know that that sounds so cheesy. It sounds like something that should be embroidered on your grandma's pillow, but it's actually true. And I feel like when you follow those little inclinations, I read this book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks about that, about inspiration being almost like an entity, like it comes to you and you just have to be a conduit for that thing. And I feel like that's what he did. Like something in the universe (laughs) like whispered that to him almost. And he's just a person who listened. He's following all of these different callings that he's had at different points of his life. And I just think that that's so admirable and so dope. Yeah, it's that little, we, I think we spoke about this in the first episode. It's that little giddy feeling area in your stomach, chest <laughs> type thing that, that when, when you can, when you have a, a thought or an idea and you have that kind of like light feeling, tends to coincide with like, hey, you should maybe try and give that a shot. Something that you should investigate, yeah. Yeah, some a, people. It's like an intuition, yeah, based in, in, feeling. Yes, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like some, sometimes we as people like blow it off because it's so out of left field. When you think about that, here's a Navy SEAL who had just been medically retired, and he got that that inkling, like, oh, I want to tell this story on TikTok. That's so out of left field. He very easily could have been like. <laughs> Yeah. Why would I do that? But I think he's the perfect example of you got to follow those little whispers. You really do. Yeah. Because look at what's happened. And it's it's also a, a, a great thing to, to recognize that he followed the feeling because it's something that he loves to do. Yeah. That's why the feeling came over him when he was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this. Like. That was the only reason that the fuck it came is because he's like, I'm just going to do something that I absolutely love. Yeah. And then, like he said, send it, which is a great term for doing stuff like that, which is just go. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Who cares? He's also an incredibly self-aware human being. <laughs> yeah. Which, it was actually shocking. Which and I, I don't mean this to be disparaging towards males at all. But I find that like 19-year-old boys that I knew would never have the wherewithal to take personal responsibility. And as far as just human beings in general go, I see that all the time now as an adult where people just don't want to take responsibility. They would rather self-victimize and make everybody else at fault and do that kind of stuff. And what an empowering standpoint to be like, no, I... 
I'm fucking up kind of and and I want to I want to change that. I think that is such an empowering headspace to be in and and such a an empowering emotional space to come from in your life instead of being like poor me and how could this happen to me is like what is this trying to teach me? What can I do with this? How can I move forward? Like he I don't know. I could Well, along with being in a family of like the highest accomplishment. I can't even like two, imagine two, two Pulitzers. Yeah. And a doctor. Yeah. And a, that's, that's all of them, right? Was it four? He had two sisters. He had two sisters. Yeah. Yeah. One's a doc. One's like a high level doctor. One's Pulitzer prize winner. Dad's Pulitzer prize winner. His mom's a pro writer, a pro writer. It's yes. It would be really hard for some to not victimize in an extreme way at that age with that type of accomplishment shadowing you. Yeah. In your family, in your family unit, which would be really tough. And for him to come out of that is amazing. So great. Yeah. Chips to him for sure. Definitely. The other thing that I wanted to mention is I loved when he said that if, if you've done a really good job, you make it look easy. It's so true. I think that if you're watching something or you're listening to something and it's just easy watching, easy listening. All of the people that have worked on that project have worked so hard and are so good at their job. Like do not discredit how much work goes into making something look easy. His videos, he makes it look so easy and I couldn't do it. Oh, it's there's no way you have to be up basically 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that more than a full-time job. It's like having two full-time jobs and being a dad. By the way, I was in that boat when we started this podcast. I was like, oh, well, we have the equipment. Let's just talk. It is so much harder than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot involved. But it's like he said, if you love what you do, you're just pumped on it. You're just excited to do it. So the work doesn't exactly feel the same. It's a lot of work, and you're not discrediting that but it's work that you want to do totally yeah i look forward to it every week it's great me too yeah well that was incredible i feel so good yeah today is like an extra happy feeling because that was so much fun to listen to and i'm such a fan and you know what the older i get the more i'm embracing my fandom yeah of people and what they make and he just made my whole fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. In what world? Like, how bizarre is that? That I'm like, I like this guy's videos. And he responded to me on Instagram. And then he called me. Yeah, it's great. That's how the world works now. You're it's in wild. touch with everyone you want to be. And some people that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's always that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to this awesome episode of No Pressure with John Ballin. What a blast. Mr. B. Please get in touch with us on our Instagrams, at Tina Majorino. And at Kevin Majorino. And at No Pressure Pod. Yes. Like and subscribe. Leave a review. Share it with your friends and family. Yeah. Come and tell us how we're doing. Share with us what you'd like to hear or what you want to see in the future. We love you. We really do. 
in the words of John Allen, send it. Yeah, let's fucking send it. Send it, bro. See you guys. Bye. Bye.